0: Welcome again to Exploring the Scriptures presentation on Christians and the Gospel with Dr. Ron Bartholomew. Here now is Dr. Bartholomew.
1: Hi, my friends. We're, we're going to be studying the Gospel of Christian History today, the loss of Priesthood, Keys, and Church Organization. This is a difficult time in the history of the church because this is when we're losing the Priesthood, Keys, and Church organizations we have it today. But what, what you'll see is you'll see a need for the restoration through the loss of the loss of priesthood, keys, and church organization in the Posse. So, although what we're studying is depressing, it's enlightening if you see it as necessary before the restoration. So, with that little bit of an introduction, let's begin. Um, the Keys of the Kingdom. We're going to start looking at basic doctrines six and seven in the internet, and then DNC 14 to fifteen and sixty five to two. So um, as you as we first as you go to the internet, find um, let, me, let me get this going here. What you need to find is um, go to org and there you'll find. Um, you won't see it here, but I'm going to find it anyway. you find a document called Basic Doctrines. And uh, we're going to look at 6 and 7 just to appreciate what's happening here. Okay, The Basic Doctrines of the Church. Um, number 6 and 7. If you look online, there's a, there's a document called The Basic Doctrines of the Church. It's very interesting. And uh, it goes through all the 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 ten basic doctrines of the church. really are like six and seven today, as we prepare for our our study here. Um, basic Doctrine Six. I'll read it to you. It's called Priesthood and Priesthood Keys. The priesthood is the eternal power and authority of God. Through the priesthood, God created and governs the heavens and the earth this power he redeems and exalts all his children and brings to pass the immortality and eternal life of man. Now we know the priesthood was lost during the apostasy, so we have to get the priesthood back. God gives priesthood authority to worthy male members of the church so they can act in his name for the salvation of his children. The keys of the priesthood are the rights of the presidency or the power given to man by God to govern and direct the kingdom of God on the earth. Through these keys, priesthood holders can be authorized to preach the gospel and administer the ordinance of salvation. All who serve in the church are called upon under the direction of one who holds priesthood keys. They, thus, they are entitled to the power to to serve and fulfill the responsibilities of their callings. Now, what we're going to see during this period is that the priesthood was lost. The Iranian priesthood is often called the preparatory priesthood. The offices of the priesthood are deacon, teacher, priest, and bishop. The church today, one of the members that began to receive the Iranian priesthood at age 12. Melchizedek Priesthood is the right, the higher, greater priesthood, and is necessary for the uh, operation of the Church. It was called the Holy Priesthood of the order of the Son of God, and we all received that as well. Now, that was lost from the earth during this time, so that's a terrible thing. And that leads to the loss of ability to perform ordinances and make covenants. Quote, In the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, an ordinance is a secret formal act that has spiritual meaning. Each ordinance was designed by God to teach spiritual truths. The ordinances of salvation are performed by the authority of the priesthood in the direction of those who hold priesthood keys. Some ordinances are essential for exaltation and are called saving ordinances. The first saving ordinance of the gospel is baptism. Baptism is necessary for an individual to become a member of the church and enter such a kingdom. Uh, after a person is baptized, one or more priesthood, Melchizedek priesthood, lay their hands on their head and they are the, uh, confirmed a member of the church. That's also a required ordinance for salvation. They are given the gift of the Holy Ghost. The gift of the Holy Ghost is different from the influence of the Holy Ghost. By baptism, <clears throat> before baptism, a person can feel the influence of the Holy Ghost. After receiving the Holy, gift of the Holy Ghost, the person has this constant relationship if he keeps the commandments. So we have priesthood and we have ordinances that were lost from the world because of the apostasy. Let's read DNC 1 fourteen fifteen and sixty five two. Go ahead.
0: And the arm of the Lord shall be revealed, and the day cometh that they who will not hear the voice of the Lord, neither the voice of his servants, neither give heed to the words of the prophets and apostles, shall be cut off from among the people, for they have strayed from mine ordinances and have broken mine everlast and have broken mine everlasting covenant.
1: So The result of the apostasy was people performing ordinances without the priesthood and that did not make Heavenly
0: Father very happy. And so he's going to restore the church. 65.2 The keys of the kingdom of God are committed unto man on the earth and from thence shall the gospel roll forth unto the ends of the earth as the stone which is cut out of the mountain without hands shall roll forth until it is filled the whole earth.
1: So I think two interesting things can be taken from this. Number one, as we interact with our neighbors and friends who are not members of the church, it's important for us to remember that way we have the priesthood, and B, that allows us to perform ordinances. Those are two things that were lost because of the apostasy. There's two claims of authority on the earth today. One claim is the one holy catholic and apostolic tradition, that's the main denominations. They believe that the first pope was Peter and tracing all bishops authority back to him. There's, there They say there was no apostasy. Now that's an interesting position. And it many, many, many denominations. This is not just the Catholic Church. This is many denominations believe this. They believe Peter was the first bishop and they trace all bishops authority back to him. There was no apostasy. The other claim is the Church of, of Saints. The old disposition is that churches build upon the rock of revelation in Jesus Christ. I like authority lost, but the apostles was said that the apostasy has now been restored. And so, either we have the apostles or we don't. Either we have the priesthood authority or we don't. Those are the two claims. We're going to read Matthew 16, verse 18 to 19. Uh, in, this, in these verses, the Lord explains to Peter the importance of the priesthood keys and the authority to be on the earth. He says to him in Matthew 16,
0: uh, verse 18 to 19. And I say also unto thee, that thou art Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. And I will give unto thee the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatsoever thou shalt bind on earth, Shall be bound in heaven, and whatsoever thou shalt loose on earth, shall be loosed in heaven.
1: Now, the interesting thing about these verses is they're often misquoted or misinterpreted by the church. So I'm going to give you the, the correct interpretation right now. The Savior said to Peter, "And I say unto thee that thou shalt, that thou art Peter." Now that wasn't his name; his name was Simon Barjona. But the Lord's going to change his name to Peter. And upon this rock I will build my church. What rock? Now, the difference is, is Peter holding the rock or is the Savior holding the rock? The Savior's holding the rock. So he says to Peter, I'm going to call you Petra. That's Peter in, in, the, in the language of it, Petra. I'm going to call you the small rock. But upon this rock, Petra, the big rock, I'm going to build my church. Now, you don't see that in English because it's not translated correctly, but he's saying to Peter, you're the small rock. But on the large rock, I'm going to build my church. And the gates of hell, and they literally believed that hell had gates. should not prevail against it. So they, what they're teaching, what the Savior's teaching here is this. Hell had gates, and it did. It has a door. And the doors of hell would not prevail against the priesthood. In other words, because the priest has been restored, ordinances are going to be restored for the living and the dead. People are going to be able to bypass hell and go to the spirit world and spirit uh, paradise. And that's what the Savior's teaching. Um... That's not totally obvious there, but that's what he's teaching. Joseph taught upon this rock be my church, what rock? Revelation. Now that doesn't go against what I just thought. Oh, hang on a second. He also thought Christ was have the church, the chief course on the spiritual rock upon which the church was built. Jesus was the Petra, not the Petros. And uh, he's the rock upon which the church is built. Uh Helaman five twelve explains this. I think y'all know Helaman five twelve. It's a, it's a it's a verse that's Helaman is going to teach his sons Nephi and Lehi about the necessity of the priesthood being in the church. Uh, Helaman 5.12 says,
0: And now my sons, remember, remember, that it is upon the rock of our Redeemer, who is Christ, the Son of God, that ye must build your foundation, that when the devil shall send forth his mighty winds, yea, his shafts in the whirlwind, yea, when all his hail and his mighty storm shall beat upon you. It shall have no power over you to drag you down to the gulf of misery and endless woe, because of the rock upon which ye are built, which is a sure foundation, a foundation whereon if men build, they cannot fail or fall.
1: Now our Protestant brothers and sisters believe, all they've got to do is believe in Jesus. That's enough. Believing in Jesus, that's the that's the head of the church. Our different belief is that we believe in Jesus as the head of the church, but also that Jesus provides the priesthood, which we can all receive, which gives us the authority to act in the church. That's the difference between the two. Christian historians note that originally, by the 2nd century, the Episcopate church governed by the bishops was strictly a governmental arrangement. In other words, uh, the, the bishops governing the church was done by the government, not by the church, which makes sense to us today. Additionally, there is general disagreement as to whether those who held the keys were even bishops at all. Um, We're talking about the keys of the kingdom here, and the Savior gave the keys to the, the apostles, but not to the bishops. Ignatius, who was an early bishop, contends that the presbyters, elders, not the bishops, were the successors to the apostles. The elders were the ones who were going to eventually become apostles to the priesthood. Clement of Rome agreed with this point, while Tertullian and Irenaeus argued that bishops spread that link. So we've got disagreements in the church even in the second century. Of course, they were both bishops. It was it was only later that the sacerdotal theory emerged, which gave the priest the gave to priests and bishops the authority to provide priestly sacrifices for the sins of the congregants, similar to the Levites priests of the Old Testament. Um, so. What we're going to do here is we're going to have the the Old and the New Testament coming together at the same same time. All the people that are alive when Jesus was alive were part of the Old Testament. Slowly becomes the New Testament, and and there's going to be disagreement with what what the priesthood is even all about. What is more, in the late first century church, there were traveling ministers, including those known as apostles and prophets, and local ministers in particular places consisting of those known as bishops or presbyters. Together with a separate office of deacons who assisted in performing the Eucharist, central Christian ritual act, and also in the also the daily running of church affairs. So you've got the the prophets and apostles who are traveling ministers. You've got the local ministers who are the bishops and the deacons who just run the church in the local areas. It was perhaps not surprising that traveling ministers and local ministers should sometimes come into conflict. They represented two very different ways of looking at presenting authority handed down from the apostles, and so. You've got the the local people who are sometimes fighting against what the traveling ministers are bringing. Now this doesn't happen in the church today because we know that the apostles have the priesthood authority from God. But back then, there was a there was a disconnect between these people because they're trying to figure out how the priesthood worked. This tension is represented in the Didache, see page one twenty of the Didache, which lays down instructions for detecting false prophets that who might turn up in a community. It also reminds us the readers that the local ministry should be given just as much honor as the traveling ministry. despise them not, for there are they who which are honored of you in the prophets, of, with the prophets and teachers. Now, it's important for me to point out at this point that the Didache, which was a, a document that they believed in back then, was a forgery. It was a false doctrine. So we do not believe in the Didache, what it taught. How would this tension be resolved? Ultimately, the traveling ministers, prophets, and apostles disappeared from the mainstream church, leaving the local ministers as the only accepted leaders. They eventually just ran them out. If you've ever wondered how that happened. The bishop, after all, presided at the Eucharist and should be the automatic source of authority. You must all follow the bishop as Jesus Christ followed the Father. Let no one do anything apart from the bishop that has to do with the church, they said. Now, if you've ever wondered how the Catholic Church just has bishops, this is how it happened. The bishop was the local authority, like we have in our church today, and they didn't want somebody from the outside to come in and tell them what to do. So when the prophets and apostles came, they just did away with them. The advantages of a monarchical monarchical leadership were clear. It was much more straightforward for one person to act as a focus for the church in this way. Trust any widening of their beliefs, just as it made more sense for one person to preside over a community's Eucharist, than it did for the community to do so. and So it made sense to them to just have the local person do it, because they didn't have electronic communication, they didn't have television or TV or phone or anything like that. And the other thing they said that the, the apostles of provinces when they traveled and came by, and they often didn't agree with what they were doing. If churches start taking this line on, on the nature of the ecclesiastical authority, it's easy to see why the alternative authority, embodied in the traveling ministers, should come to seem unnecessary and even a threat to the good order of the church, because it wasn't local. I hope you can see what's going to happen here. Because of this, you're going to have every locale is going to be believing something different. So if you have 95 branches, they'll have, to have 95 different beliefs. Because the traveling elders, the apostles and prophets, aren't allowed to keep things straight as they as they travel through. Despite this, there was still a need for central leadership. They still have some need. Well, it is unclear whether Peter had actually played the role of bishop in the church at Rome. He didn't. Even if he did indeed die in the city, and the names were just prepared for successor bishops, uh, and. Uh, Up to the end of the first century, are no more than names. They're just—they're not even people. They're just names. They are probably the result of a later second-century back projection to create a history for the episcopal succession in the era when the episcopal succession had become significant. So they went back and rewrote history to have it match what they were doing. Already, therefore, during the third century, the bishop role was consolidating a role which was likely to give him a special prominence in the Western churches. That's according to McCulloch and uh, Dharmaid in History of Christianity, which is the single most important book at this point. So, how do they transmit their authority? Uh, in the one holy Catholic Apostolic tradition, Peter was the first bishop of Rome. It's assumed <coughs> as long as you trace your priesthood to Peter and subsequent bishops, the apostolic, apostolic authority remains. That's an interesting thing. They did away with the apostles, but they kept the bishops, they were the local leaders, saying that Peter was a bishop, not an apostle, and as long as you attribute Peter your authority to a bishop, you're okay. Now, I hope you can see how ridiculous that is, because the Bible does never call Peter Bishop. The Bible only calls Peter an apostle. But they've changed Peter from an apostle to a bishop just to retain their their kind of authority. The one who we the apostolic tradition does not claim authority was transferred from apostle to apostle, but rather from to bishops instead. LDS belief. Acts chapter one indicates the, the apostolic succession required the participation of all the members of the Quorum of the Twelve, who assisted in the selection of the new apostles, not of bishops. The martyrdom of the apostles resulted in the demise of the Quorum, and those remaining of the last, did not appoint new apostles in the absence of a Quorum or a Quorum President. So at Acts chapter one, for a second, all the churches have these books. We're not, we're not. Our Acts one isn't different than their Acts one. Our Acts one is the same. It's interesting to see how they changed how they did things just because they didn't want to do them in the way the Lord had said aside to do them. Actually, we're going to start in verse 15. And in those days, Peter stood up in the midst of the disciples and said, "The number of the names together were about 120 men and brethren. This scripture must needs have been fulfilled, which was which the Holy Ghost by the mouth of David spake concerning Judas, which was the guide which was which was guide to them that took Jesus." For he was numbered with us and had obtained part of the ministry. Jesus was an apostle. Now this man purchased a field with the reward of the iniquity and falling headlong he burst his in the midst, and all of his bells gushed out. He, you know he hung himself. And it was known unto all the doors of Jerusalem there and as much as the field is called in their proper tongue al which is to say the field of blood. That's where Jesus was buried. For it is written in the book of Psalms let his invitation be desolate. Let no man dwell therein. And his bishopric, then another take. Now there it's calls his what priests he had called the bishopric. Let's see if they call a bishop to replace him. Or for these men which have come to us all the time that the Lord Jesus went in and out among us, beginning from the baptism of John unto the day that he was taken from us, must one be ordained as a witness unto us of his resurrection. We need someone who was there the whole time to be witness to the resurrection. And they appointed two Joseph called Barsabas, which was serving Justice, and Matthias. And they prayed and they said, Thou Lord, which knowest the hearts of all men, shew whether of these two thou hast chosen. That he may take part in the ministry and apostleship, from which Judah by turns Christian fell. They're not calling a bishop, they're calling an apostle. Then he might go down to his place. And they gave forth their lots, and the lot fell upon Matthias, and Matthias was numbered with the eleven apostles. Matthias was made an apostle, not a bishop. Some contend that Peter passed his authority to his successor, called the bishop, and the bishop did likewise, and so on. The first such successor is claimed to be Linus, but as noted in the Encyclopedia of Early Christianity, nothing is known of his life or career even if he was even a person. These successors are alleged to constitute the papal line of authority, the, the Pope, the Bishop, the head Bishop. In essence, the Pope, meaning Papa, our father, is deemed to be the Supreme Bishop. The official Vatican position is as follows, and I'm quoting the Catholic Church here quote, The Catholic Church recognizes in the Apostolic Succession an unbroken line of Episcopal ordination from Christ to the Apostles down to the centuries to the bishops of today. That is an interesting quote. The Catholic Church recognizes in the Apostolic Succession an unbroken line of Episcopal ordination from Christ to the Apostles down through the centuries to the bishops of today. In their in their statement of beliefs, they changed an apostle to a bishop, even though they know that they didn't do the same thing. Francis A. Sullivan, a longtime professor of theology at the Gregorian University in Rome, wrote a book entitled From Apostles to Bishops. Acknowledged that this argument asserting a direct line of succession is historically defective. How can you go from apostles to bishops? It doesn't make sense. He noted, this is a Catholic is the Catholic teacher in the Gregorian University which is the Catholic University talking. Quote. One conclusion seems obvious. Neither the New Testament or early Christian history offers support for a notion of apostolic succession as an unbroken line of episcopal ordination from Christ to the Apostles down to the centuries of the bishops of the day. He is the Catholic teacher saying that doesn't make sense. It doesn't there's no evidence of it. With historic candor this learned scholar admitted that there was no historical link between Peter, and supported papal successors or bishops. There was much extrapolation in surmising and proposing, but in the final analysis, there was no verifiable historical connection between Peter and the bishops of the the Catholic Church. This is according to a Catholic priest, a Catholic teacher. It's not according to a Mormon. In fact, historical studies have proven, with that argument and with general agreement amongst scholars of all faiths, the bishop of Rome finally achieved the papal supremacy through a series of clerical forgeries. A. Cleveland Cox, also a Catholic, summarized how the Bishop of Rome finally achieved supremacy. Quote After the Council of Nice, they, the bishops, were recognized as patriarchs, the equals among the brethren, and nothing more. The ambition of Boniface III led him to name himself the universal bishop of the Bishop of Rome. This was at first a mere name of intolerable pride, as his predecessor Gregory had called it, but Nicholas I, this is not till the 9th century AD. Nine centuries after Jesus died. Trying to make a real end, by means of false decretals, created himself the first pope in the modern sense, imposing his despotism upon the West. Nine centuries later. These decretals, or doctrinal decrees issued by the pope, came out because the German archbishops and the kings paid only lip service to the would-be popes of Rome. In an effort to gain their support and loyalty, forged documents alleging prose prominence were created. Somewhere in the eighty eighty, eight forties a French cleric forged a series of church decrees giving ultimate power to the bishops of Rome. And everybody knows that these were these were forgeries. Everyone knows why they were created, but yet they still accept it. <laughs> Note historian Will Durant wrote, quote, Lorenzo Valle in fourteen forty, that's that's fifteen hundred years after Jesus died. So definitely expose the frauds of the false decretals that all parties now agree with the really documents are forgeries. Everybody agrees that they were since the fifteenth century. Recognize the foregoing historical problem of papal succession from the apostles, and further recognized there was no scriptural witness of a papal succession through the popes. <coughs> Professor Sullivan, a Roman Catholic theologian, suggested an alternative approach to the succession for the ongoing church. We realize what they what we've been doing is wrong. Let's try something different. The body of missionaries and ecclesiastical leaders collectively held the keys of the priesthood that were embodied in the Quorum of the Apostles. That was his proposal. He proposed that to the Pope. One obstacle in both theories is the lack of historical evidence, to which Professor Sullivan has admitted in this regard he further wrote. Quote, No doubt proving that the bishops were the successors of the apostles by a divine institution would be easier if the New Testament clearly stated they, before they died. The apostles had appointed a single bishop to lead these churches they had founded, but that that doesn't exist. Likewise, it would have been very helpful had Clement, in the writing of the Corinthians, said the apostles had put one bishop in charge of each church and arranged for a regular succession in that office. We would also be grateful to Ignatius of Antioch if he had spoken of himself not as a bishop but as a successor to the apostles, and explained how he understood the succession. Unfortunately, the documents of Aetawas do not provide such help. That's according to Francis Solomon, who wrote a book called From Apostles to Bishops, who is a Catholic bishop, a Catholic priest. Now, my friends, we have the Catholics telling us that the Catholic way of doing things was wrong. I didn't quite want quote any Mormons. I've only quoted Catholics. And they've admitted that it's wrong. You know, Blakey Packer tells of a senior experience, unique experience he had when he knew it for himself. The keys of the king resided in this church. <clears throat> so we have the Catholic Church who, who whose claim for a th- priest's authority is false. Our claim, which is the only claim to priest's authority which is true, and the, and the Protestants don't even claim priest's authority.
2: Shortly after the death of President Gordon B. Hinckley, the 14 men, apostles, who had conferred upon them the keys of the kingdom gathered together in the upper room of the temple in order to reorganize the first presidency of the church. There's no question about what would be done. No uh, hesitancy. We knew that the senior apostle was the president of the church. And in that sacred meeting, thomas spencer monson was sustained by the quorum of the 12 apostles as the president of the church he nominated and named his counselors they likewise were sustained and they were ordained and given the authority president monson giving the authority to exercise all of the keys all of the priesthood keys of authority and as the scriptures uh, provide He's the only man on the earth who has the right to exercise all of the keys, though we all hold them in that group. There's one man called and ordained, becomes the president of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. Already he was and had been sustained for years as a prophet, seer, and revelator. He said to Peter, I will give unto thee the keys of the kingdom and whatsoever thou shalt bind on earth shall be bound in heaven and whatsoever thou shalt loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven and he said the twelve hold the keys to open the authority of my kingdom upon the four corners of the earth in 1976 an area general conference was held in copenhagen denmark Following the closing session, President Spencer W. Kimball desired to visit the Boer Fru Church, where the Thorvaldsen statues of the Christus and the Twelve stand. He'd visited there some years earlier and wanted all of us to see it, to go there. To the front of the church, behind the altar, stands the familiar statue of the Christus. His arms turned forward and somewhat outstretched. The hands showing the imprint of the nails and the wound in his side very clearly visible along each side stand the statues of the apostle peter at the front to the right and the other apostles in order most of our group was near the rear of the chapel with the custodian i stood up front with president spencer w kimball before the statue of peter with Rex D. Pinegar and Johan Helge Bentheen, president of the Copenhagen State. In Peter's hand, depicted in marble, is a set of heavy keys. President Kimball pointed to those keys and explained what they symbolized. Then, in an the act I shall never forget, he turned to President Ben Thien. with unaccustomed firmness, pointed to those with his finger at him and said, I want you to tell everyone in Denmark that I hold the keys. We hold the real keys and we use them every day. I will never forget that declaration, that testimony from the prophet. The influence was powerful. The impression was physical in its impact. We walked to the back of the chapel and where the rest of the group was standing, pointing to the statues, President Kimball said, to the kind custodian these are the dead apostles pointed to me he said here we have living apostles elder Packer is an apostle elder Monson and elder Perry are apostles and I am an apostle we are the living apostles you read about the 70s in the New Testament he said and here are two of the living 70s elder Pinniger and elder Hale The custodian, who up to that time had shown no emotion, suddenly was in tears. I felt I had had an experience of a lifetime. We do not hear of priesthood keys being exercised in other Christian churches. It seems odd that we are described by some as being non-Christian when we are the only ones who have the authority and the organization that he established.
1: That last sentence, it seems odd that we are not considered Christians and we're the only ones that have to create the priesthood, but it's true. Just as Joseph Smith and Brigham Young organized the church, gradually over time, there is no evidence in the New Testament other than first century documents that it occurred otherwise then as well. In fact, according to the four Gospels, the only offices that exist during the Savior's lifetime were Apostle and Seventy although the office of deacon, bishop, and others existed during Peter, Paul, and James' ministries. While we have limited information regarding Jesus' 40-day post-resurrection ministry, R.J. Matthew suggested, quote, It is probable that it was during this time that the church was organized with quorums and various officers. If so, this helps explain why we see the working of the organization of the church much more clearly in the book of Acts and in the epistles. The word church is only used four times in the four Gospels, and only by Matthew. It is used hundreds of times in the book of Acts and, and, and the epistles. Rather than being organized in its fullness, it was 1835 before our church had the quorums of the Twelve, Seventy, or First Presidency, five years before we have any of those. Likewise, it is apparent from the book of Acts that the epistles and the, that the Lord revealed to the apostles and of, officers and organization organizations of His church gradually and upon line as the church needed. It happened slowly over time, just like it did here in our dispensation. Some suppose, quote, Some suppose that the organization was handed to the prophet of Joseph with like a set of plans and specifications for a building with all the details on the beginning. That is simply not true. But did not come that way. Rather, it came a piece at a time as the brethren were ready and as they inquired of the Lord. It took a generation of asking and receiving before the order of things as we know it, and today was firmly in place. Each move to perfect the order has come about in response to a need and an answer to prayer. And that process continues in our day. I guess to remember hearing President Hinckley announce the quorums of, uh, Quorum of the 70s, update the quorums of the 70s, etc. When I was a young kid, 70 was an office that was held by, by members of our warden's and st- and stake, later became a general authority office. The Acts of the Apostles ends at 64 AD. Besides the writings of Jude and John, the lights go out on the Christian writing until the middle of the next century. They just go completely out. The first person to write in the, the, the post apostolic period was Clement. Philippians 4 3, who admonished the saints to follow the leaders who had been chosen by the apostles. Ignatius of Antioch wrote and reinurged the same thing. Next reader Polycarp, the Bishop of Smyrna, in Revelation 2.8, who is urging the saints to go back to the original beliefs and teachings of the apostles. In the writings, it is evident that the apostles were gone. The message changes that occurred in the church, teaching the church of the church, that they are alarmed about it and did not know what to do. Did the Lord know in advance in this apostasy, this spiritual blackout, or did it catch him by surprise? Of course the Lord knew the apostasy would occur, but he and the prophets, both he and the prophets had testified of it. He was no surprise whatsoever. In this regard, it was inevitable. While God did not dictate or desire it, he did not allow for the agency of man and this account for it in his master plan. Jesus Martin, one of the first church apologists who ultimately gave his life for the cause, understood this principle. He said, for what he thinks he, the Savior predicted would take place in his name, those we see we do see being actually accomplished in our sight. For he said, Many shall come in my name, clothed that were in sheep's clothing, but known they are ravening wolves. And there shall be schisms and heresies, and beware of false prophets. There are, and therefore there were many, my friends, who, coming forward in the name of Jesus, stop about to speak and act impious and, and blasphemous things. So that in consequence of these events, we know Jesus. We know what happened after him. So we have the the apostasy being predicted by Jesus, being taught by the first uh, by the first uh, leaders of the church. We have the, the disappearance of apostles as, as the local leaders wanted to do away with with any outside influence. Just wanted to have bishops. We have all. We only have evidence of an apostasy. There's no evidence of a of a continuation. And so, uh, the problem is, people don't study back in this time period because they don't, uh, I don't know why they don't, but anyway, they don't. And so we don't know a lot of these things that happened, but they all happened. Julian made a similar observation, quote, The character of the times in which we live is such as to call forth from among us this admonition, that we are not to be as nice at the heresies which abound, neither at their existence to surprise us, for it was foretold that they should come to pass. Now, you might say, well, you're just quoting the people that are predicting the apostasy. Actually, I'm quoting everybody who wrote back then that we have their writings. It was universal. A scholar of early Christianity, Cleveland Cox, who provided further eternals for the Antinocenean Fathers, that's the book about the Antinocenean Fathers, is the book written by the people who, who existed before the Council of Nicaea, observed, quote, If it shocks the young student of the virgin years of Christianity, to find such a state of things the proliferation, proliferation of heresies then reflect that reflected it was also foretold by Christ himself and demonstrates the malice and power of the, the adversary now that's very interesting for a Cleveland Cox a Catholic historian to say that there was a proliferation of heresies that was re- reflected by what, what was foretold by Christ himself and demonstrates the malice and power of the adversary now my friends I hope that our discussion today doesn't lead you to run out and join the Catholic Church because the Catholic Church is false. And the Protestant Church is even more false because they broke off from the Catholic Church. But be that as it may, there's only one church that's, that's true, and that's our church. What was expected? Well, Jesus said several things, and I'm going to have my friend read them now. Uh, what was expected? What, what did they think would happen? Uh, first we we'll go to Matthew 17, 12, and then Matthew 21, 37, 39, and Luke, etc. If you have a scripture, please follow along with us.
0: But I say unto you, that Elias is come already, and they knew him not, but have done unto him whatsoever they listed. Likewise shall also the Son of Man suffer of them. Matthew 21, 37-39 But last of all he sent unto them his Son, saying, They will reverence my Son. But when the husbandmen saw the son, they said among themselves, This is the heir. Come, let us kill him, and let us seize on his inheritance. And they caught him, and cast him out of the vineyard, and slew him. Now
1: Luke, now that does not predict that the church is going to continue. That predicts that Jesus is going to be killed as he
0: was. Luke 17, 25. But first must he suffer many things and be rejected of this generation.
1: Which he did and he he was. John 1, 5, 10 to 11 says the following.
0: And the light shineth in darkness and the darkness comprehendeth it not. Verse 10 and 11. He was in the world and the world was made by him and the world knew him not. He came unto his own, and his own, and his own received him not. It's pretty clear what
1: is being taught here. <laughs> Jesus was not being to be accepted by anyone. 7.7 7 says, i 5, 5.38 says,
0: And ye have not his word abiding in you. For whom he has sent, him ye believe not. Then John 7.7 7 says, the world cannot hate you, but me it hateth, because I testify of it, that the works thereof are evil.
1: And then 15, 25. Anyone who's read the New Testament knows that Jesus did not predict anything, but he did not predict anything except for his death. He did not predict the church to continue. He did not predict anything except for the, the people would kill him.
0: If I had not come and spoken unto them, they had not had sin, but now they have no cloak for their sin. He that hateth me, hateth my father also.
1: Then verse 25. If I,
0: had not done among, if I had not done among them the works which none other man did, they had not had sin, but now have they both seen and hated both me and my father. But this cometh to pass, that the word might be fulfilled, that is written in their law. They hated me without a cause.
1: (laughs) Okay, that's what what Jesus said about Jesus. Now the apostles, Matthew 10, chapter 10, verse 16 to 22. How would they treat the apostles? This is a really really good question.
0: Behold, I send you forth as sheep in the midst of wolves. Be ye therefore wise as serpents and harmless as doves. But beware of men, for they will deliver you up to the councils, and they will scourge you in their synagogues. And ye shall be brought before governors and kings for my sake, for a testimony against them and the Gentiles. But when they deliver you up, take no thought how or what ye shall speak, for it shall be given you in that same hour what ye shall speak. For it is not ye that speak, but the Spirit of your Father, which speaketh in you. And the brother shall deliver up the brother to death, and the father the child. And the children shall rise up against their parents, and cause them to be put to death. And ye shall be hated of all men for my name's sake. But he that endureth to the end shall be saved. The Savior is not
1: drawing a pretty picture for how the Apostles were going to live. Verse 24, 25 in the same chapter.
0: 24. The disciple is not above his master, nor the servant above his Lord. It is enough for the disciple that he be as his master, and the servant as his Lord. If they have called the master of those house Beelzebub, how much more shall they call them of his household?
1: Not a good report. Mark 13.
0: Mark 13, 10 and 13. And the gospel must first be published among all nations. And ye shall be hated of all men for my name's sake. But he that shall endure unto the end, the same shall be saved. Now verse 13. And ye shall be hated of all men for my name's sake. But he that shall endure unto the end, the same shall be saved. Now Luke ten three. 16. Go your ways. Behold, I send you forth as lambs among wolves. He that heareth you, heareth me. And he that despiseth you, despiseth me. And he that despiseth me, despiseth him that sent me.
1: John 15, 18 and 21. I think you're getting a feel now for how the Savior saw how he and his disciples would be accepted by the people, they would not be accepted by the people, and they were not,
0: they were killed. If the world hates you, ye know that it hated me before it hated you. If ye were of the world, the world would love his own. But because ye are not of the world, but I have chosen you out of the world, therefore the world hateth you. Remember the word that I said unto you, the servant is not greater than his Lord. If they have persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they have kept my saying, they will keep yours also. But all these things will they do unto you for my name's sake, because they know not him that sent me. If I had not come and spoken unto them, they had not had sin, but now they have no cloak for their sin. He that hateth me hateth my father also if I had not done among them the works which none other man did, they had not they had not had sin, but now have they both seen and hated both me and my father. But this cometh to pass that the word might be fulfilled that is written in their law they hated me without a cause
1: Can you believe that? John 16, 1-2, the next page says, John 16, 1-2.
0: These things have I spoken unto you that ye should not be offended. They shall put you out of the synagogues. Yea, the time cometh that whosoever killeth you will think that he doeth God's service.
1: And then John 17,
0: 4 says, I have glorified thee on the earth. I have finished the work which thou gavest me to do.
1: So there was, no, there was no false idea that among Jesus or the apostles that they were going to live or that they were going to have a good life. It was actually believed they were going to die. Um, Acts 20, verse 29 talks about how the church and the doctrines were already destroyed as well. Acts 20, verse 29 says the following.
0: For I know this, that after my departing shall grievous wolves enter in among you, not sparing the flock. That was
1: Paul, First Corinthians 11 says.
0: For first of all, when ye come together in the church, I hear that there be divisions among you, and I partly believe it. For there must be also heresies among you, that they which are approved may be made manifest among you. Now
1: this one, 2 Timothy, 2 Timothy is really good. Second Timothy 4, verses 3-4, Paul is again talking about the apostasy that's screened during his lifetime. He says the
0: following, For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but after their own lusts shall they heap to themselves teachers having itching ears, and they shall turn away their ears from the truth, and shall be turned into fables.
1: Unless we have 2 Peter 2, 1-3. I think I've shown you a, a sufficient evidence that the apostles never thought that the church would continue, nor did Jesus think it would continue, but
0: that they would all die, Second Peter two and three says the following. But there were false prophets also among the people, even as there shall be false teachers among you who privily shall bring in damnness, shall privily bring in damnable heresies, even denying the Lord that brought them, and bring upon themselves swift destruction. And many shall follow their pernicious ways by reason of whom the way of truth shall be evil spoken of and through covetousness shall they with feign words make merchandise of you whose judgment now of a long time lingereth not and their damnation slumbereth not so jesus predicts
1: his death the apostles are told that they would die as well and the church and the doctrine is told that, we're told that it would be changed. And guess what it was? And the scriptures t- said that it was, would be. No one in authority ever prophesied, taught, or anticipated Christianity survived. survive. No one. No one taught that. No provisions were made to purchase land, to build buildings. Saints all expected that the price of Christianity, the there being believed in crisis, would be martyrdom. The only prophecy of future glory was the second coming and the restoration. That's the only one. Let's stop there. Um, I just want to bear my testimony that... Um, things happen exactly what jesus and the apostles said they would happen they happen exactly what the bible said they would happen what's interesting what we'll see next time is the church that formed after the after this all happened wasn't the true church it wasn't the church that jesus taught or believed at all it was a different church and what will happen more than anything else is you'll see the need for the restoration and the the, the truth being restored and i say this in the name of jesus christ amen
0: Thank you again for joining us today with another segment with Dr. Ron Bartholomew with his insightful review of Christians and the Gospel. This podcast is presented through the facilities of Golden Gems Radio. We invite you to join us on the internet at www.goldengems.net, where you will find presented each week a review of the music and career of one of the great musical artists from the 40s, 50s, and 60s, when music was music, in the golden days of radio. Please join us again next week with another episode on The Christians and the Gospel with Dr. Ron Bartholomew.